Well, good evening. Uh, my name is John G.C. Tameang, and I'm one of the elders here at Harmony Bible Church. Merry Christmas, by the way, uh, and welcome if you're visiting today. In, in the last few weeks, we have celebrated a sermon series that is focused on the Advent which is the time when we anticipate the event. And of course, the event is the birth of Jesus, an event that we are actually going to celebrate tomorrow on Christmas Day. In theological terms, we celebrate what is called the incarnation at Christmas, which, is, as, uh, if, if, which as you'll recall, is the first coming of God in the flesh through Jesus. Now, if you know a little Spanish, you're going to see the root word carne in there, which means meat in incarnation. We also have our English word carnal, which means fleshly, uh, to add to that. And simply put, the first coming of God in the uh, uh, the first coming of God to earth is through Jesus, the God-man, or God in the flesh, or God incarnate, who was a human born to an unmarried young virgin girl who, by the world's standards, was a nobody from nowhere in the most humble circumstances in a manger. We then learned about the crucifixion and the death of Jesus and then his resurrection when he rose from the dead and fulfilled his promise to rise again. Today we're going to close out the sermon series with the ascension of Jesus. The ascension really marks the start of the second advent, uh, the time from now until when Jesus returns at his second coming. And admittedly at first, it's a, it's a really odd topic to cover on Christmas Eve. And when Chris asked me to preach this, I thought that's kind of weird. But it is really not, doesn't seem Christmassy, but it actually really is. And hopefully uh, I can unpack that with you tonight. So let's pray first, though. Um, we definitely need that. So if you'll join with me. Father, we praise you for being a father that loves us that has a plan for us to return to you, even though we have strayed. We thank you for sending your son to us, perfectly God and perfectly man, to be the perfect sacrifice for sins. We praise you, Jesus, for being tempted in every way, yet remaining pure and sinless. We thank you, Jesus, for being obedient, even unto death, and for being a promise keeper and coming back to life three days later. Holy Spirit, we praise you for resurrecting Jesus and bringing life and life abundantly to us sinners. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your, life, in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Our passage today is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. This was read to you earlier, so I'm not going to read the whole passage again, but I would like to circle back on verse 9. So if you open your Bibles to Acts, chapter 1, and write at verse 9, it's on page 713 in the Black Church Bibles located in the seat in front of you. I'm going to put the actual nouns in place of the pronouns here, okay? This is verse 9. And when Jesus had said these things, as the disciples were looking on, Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud took Jesus out of the disciples' sight. This section of the Bible is recorded by a physician by the name of Luke, a very objective man, as you can imagine. He was also one of the disciples and was responsible for the recording of the Gospel of Luke. In fact, the ascension is so important to Luke that he actually described it again at the end of Luke in chapter 24. Simply put, the ascension of Jesus is a true historical event of the disappearance of the bodily incarnate Jesus after his birth, after his ministry, 
after his suffering, after his crucifixion, after his death, and after his resurrection. And in the 40 days after his resurrection, which took place Easter Sunday, he appeared in his living flesh to hundreds of people on many different occasions. He ministered to people. He taught them. And then in true glorious form, he was lifted by God into the heavens to disappear in a cloud during the ascension. And I suppose the disciples were really astonished. They were amazed. And I'm sure they were a little bewildered. But they also had great joy. And you can read their joy in the Luke chapter 24 passage. So why were they so full of joy when the one that they loved and they adored and they eventually were martyred for actually left them? Well, they were left with two amazing promises. One promise before verse 9 and one promise after verse 9. The first promise is that the disciples would receive power through the Holy Spirit so that they would spread the gospel message, literally the good news of Jesus Christ, to the peoples of the earth. And number two is that Jesus would return again in a similar fashion as God, man, God incarnate, descending from the clouds. Now, knowing that Jesus always, always, always fulfilled his promises, the disciples really had great joy at the prospect of these wonderful promises being fulfilled. Every one of Jesus' promises were fulfilled before, and they were really excited. In this world today of repeatedly broken promises, wouldn't it be nice if you had a promise keeper like Jesus in your life? It's an amazing thing. Let's talk about the promises and the implications that the promises have to us who believe that Jesus is God and for those of us who do not believe that Jesus is God. The first promise Jesus made before he ascended into heaven is that the disciples would receive power through the Holy Spirit, elsewhere described in the Bible as the helper. We know he made this promise because he says so in John chapter 16, verse 7, which we're actually going to read later. And then he brings it up here in this passage again. In addition to Jesus leaving the earth, the ascension ushers in the beginning of the earthly ministry of the Holy Spirit, which, as you know, is one of the members of the Trinity. This event happens 10 days later, which, if you do the math, is 50 days after Easter, at a time called the Pentecost. Now, for all you Greek nerds out there, Pentecostos means 50th. Okay, That's how they got the word. Jesus, true to his word and promise, sends power to the disciples through the Holy Spirit, in the next chapter of the book of Acts. And from then on, the Holy Spirit actually permanently dwells within the hearts of all the people who believe that Jesus is Lord. Why is this all so important? Well, first of all, the power of the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And amazingly, that power resides in all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ as saviors and Lord. I don't know if you knew that, but that's amazing. Let's read John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And this is actually Jesus speaking. It's right here on the screen. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, there it is, helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In many passages, we know that this power of the Holy Spirit is actually the same as God's power. And in fact, it's actually the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead at the resurrection. And this power is in you, brothers and sisters, in you Christians. And it's there for the purpose of his glory 
and most specifically to change the hearts of humans all over the world to believe in the name of Jesus the Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I, I want to caution you that power is not at your disposal, okay? It's not there for you only. It's to re- not your disposal request whatever it is that you fancy. The power is there for the redemption and the reconciliation of man to God. Jesus made this very clear. We need the Holy Spirit to convict and change people's hearts. God does the work. We're the messengers. This is, also, this is just so important. God does the work to change people's hearts. We are the messengers. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and his power that dwells within us believers is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. As we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that power will bring life to spiritually dead people, essentially raising them from the dead. We should make use of every opportunity to share the hope that we have. Promise number two is that Jesus would return again. But before we talk about his return, his second coming, I think it's important to answer the question, where did Jesus go and what is he doing? Where does he go and what is he doing? The ascension marks the end of Jesus' earthly ministry for the first time. It's the end of his first coming as a baby, God in the flesh, or God incarnate. The ascension is the visible sign of Jesus' physical body into the heavens as witnessed by the disciples so that he could return to sit at the right hand of God in heaven. John chapter 16, verse 28 says it this way, very simply, I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, which will be up on the screen in a minute, says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. If you could leave that up for just a minute, I'd appreciate that. What are some things that he is doing up there, so to speak? Well, for one, as this Romans passage that we just read indicates, he is advocating or interceding for us. The word advocate means one who pleads another's cause before a judge. So Jesus, who is exalted at God's right hand, is pleading with God, the Father, to pardon us for our sins. Listen as I read from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, where we as Christians are referred to as little or dear children. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, when the great accuser, Satan, brings up our list of sins, some we know about, some we don't even know about, some we don't even remember, we have an advocate, Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God that pleads with God. The Father saying, this one is covered in my blood. I shed it for him, and he is clean. Is this not the greatest Christmas present you could ever imagine? To have Jesus advocating for us. And if that's not enough, we read in John chapter 14 that Jesus is actually preparing a place for us, a place of rest and ultimate victory where death is no more. After Jesus ascended, we know that he is seated at the right hand of God. 
making a plea for us who are believers to God the Father for the forgiveness of our sins. Now let's turn back to the passage and to the second promise, which is right after verse 9. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 11 again. And I'll read that here uh, with you. And while they, the disciples, were gazing into heaven as he went, Jesus went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus was lifted up into the sky, and there appeared two men, presumably angels, speaking for God, stating that Jesus, the God-man, would return in the same way, descending from the clouds in the flesh. Jesus also makes it clear earlier in the passage that we will not know when that time will be, but that it will happen. The ascension is really the start of the second advent, the anticipation of the second coming of Jesus, the Christ in bodily form descending from the clouds. The second advent is really the season we are in right now. So what will the second coming of Jesus look like and what will happen? Well, that is really a topic for an entire sermon series, okay? But let me give you the cliff notes. You know, Christmas... Jesus comes as a cute little baby in a manger with all the goos and coos and probably has really bright blue eyes and all that. All the cute little barn animals with their noses hanging over the fence looking at Jesus. Well, in second coming, it's not going to look like that. I'm going to let God paint a picture for you, okay? And so as I read from Revelations chapter 19, I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a second. Yep, just close your eyes right now and see if you can picture Jesus' second coming as I read, okay? Quiet your mind. Let me read it to you. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You can open your eyes. Can you imagine that? This is a scene of epic proportions. Have you ever seen the battle scenes on Lord of the Rings, that movie series, or any movie scene where there's a battle, for that matter? Pick the worst, most fierce battle you can imagine. The return of Jesus will make those scenes look like a Hallmark movie. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he will return with heaven's armies behind him. 
The return of Jesus will be a time when the powers of evil will be cast aside and defeated along with all those who believe in Satan. And who are those who believe in Satan? This is probably the heaviest part of my message. And it's, it's not the part that I even like to say. And it's sad to say it, but I say it in great love. It's all people who do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In, as, in essence, anyone who does not have an advocate to the Father the judge, anyone who has not been transformed by the gospel message through the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, can you see why the promises are so intertwined? There will be a time when souls who are not reconciled to God will face a judgment, a judgment that is actually already coming to them. And people, before you get too smug, it's the same judgment that was destined for us believers in Jesus if it were not for someone preaching the gospel to us and the Holy Spirit transforming us. You see, it's not about the goodness and the badness that determines your standing before the Lord. It's about your cleanness and your righteousness. And that is based on who you know and what they have done for you and what they have done to you. We have all sinned. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And the judgment for that sin is eternal separation from God, hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Let me wrap up with a calling to you who believe and to you who do not believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. For those of you who believe and you're wondering what your calling is in life, let me make it real simple for you. The ascension should be a call to us who believe to get busy get busy making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all the commands that Jesus taught. And why do we need this reminder, people? Because we get too comfortable and too inwardly focused. Just read verse 6 again of the passage. The disciples are worried about justice and comfort, like we're at times overly concerned about our physical bodies and our health and our wants, and our desires. Jesus is reminding them and us that concern for ourselves is not our main ministry on earth. The main ministry from here on out until Jesus returns is the reconciliation of souls to God through the good news of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is returning. Listen up, brothers and sisters. Listen to me, okay? When you look into the eyes of another human you will never look into the eyes of a mortal being, okay? When you look into the eyes of another human being, you will never look into the eyes of a mortal being. Think about it. Every person you come in contact with is immortal. They will spend an eternity in hell in the depths of the pit of despair, separated from God, or they will have life in heaven with God eternally. Family, we run with endurance, the race set forth before us to go and make disciples of every nation with the authority of Jesus 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when we are tired and we're discouraged and we're downtrodden and we're dismayed, we hate, we wait in hopeful expectation of the one who is called faithful and true, Jesus the Christ. To the unbeliever, you have a choice to make. The ascension is a calling for you to repent and be saved. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 9 says it this way, and Jesus is actually talking here. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. There will be a time when you cannot hide behind a philosophy, behind the agnostic banner, behind atheism, or any other all roads lead to God thought process or belief. Jesus is returning and there is no hiding. Make no mistake about it. And maybe today is the day that you would believe and be reconciled to God by calling out, simply calling out to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Almost everybody is excited for the first coming of Jesus, Christmas. And there are a lot of us that are excited about the second coming of Jesus. Sadly and unfortunately, there are some that should not be excited at this point about Jesus' return. And I think that by now you know who you are. But there is good news. There awaits a Christmas present for you. And his name is Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Amen.